You are listening to A Public Affair, KGNU's weekly call-in show that explores local news and culture. I'm Jackie Sedley, KGNU and Report for America's climate and environment reporter, and I'm your host. Today, we're talking textiles. Historians have traced the first textile fragments back to the near beginnings of human civilization. Cambridge University says the earliest examples of ancient cloth date back to the 6th or 7th century BCE. We track so much of our history up until this day on this planet through textiles, whether that be types of fabrics, weather patterns, or fashion trends. So when we think about sustainability and zero waste practices, it's hard to ignore the ramifications of something like textiles on our planet. Materials that have been around for well over a thousand years that change in durability and desirability constantly. Textile waste is significant. It takes up nearly 5% of all landfill space in the United States, according to the EPA. 15% of that gets donated or recycled, but the remaining 85% goes to landfills. What's more, the average U.S. citizen throws away 70 pounds of textiles annually. Statistics like these and others have inspired an influx of textile upcycling and recycling initiatives all over the world, and here in Boulder is no exception. I am joined in the studio today by two folks that are very familiar with textile upcycling. To my right is Pau Martin, owner of the local textile upcycler brand Atrevite. Hi, Pau. Thanks for being here. Hi. Good morning. (laughs) And to my left is Hannah Rochelle, a CU Boulder professor who is also the author of several publications and a film about textile waste and recycling. Hannah, hello. Hi, great to be here. Again, just a reminder to listeners out there, A Public Affair is a call-in show, which means you can phone in with your thoughts at any point over the next hour by dialing 303-442-4242. You can also email dj at kgnu.org. Okay, so let's dive in. You both have a wealth of knowledge on and experience with textiles and sustainability, but your peaks of interest that led you to learn about it look pretty different. Uh, Pow, first for full discussion to our listeners here, Pow happens to be my housemate's identical twin sister, but we only <laughs> met when I moved here a little over a month ago, and we have not talked about a travite at all, so this is very exciting. How did you get into sustainable fashion? Tell me about it. Um, I was working at a farm here in Boulder. I was planning to move back to Spain. I had a, a, a job lined up in photojournalism, and I decided that you know I was going to move in the fall and I sold my car all of my belongings and there was a snowy week while I was farming that a friend came to visit and she knew how to sew and I told her that I was looking for a really bright pair of overalls I wanted like something with a lot of personality to farm in and so she helped me make this pair of yellow overalls with polka dots on it and I love them and I wore them to a party and my friend Matt was like, will you make me a pair of overalls? And I was like, I mean, this is the first thing I've ever sewn. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, and so a couple of days later, I was like, I mean, if you were serious about that, I'll make you a pair of overalls. And so I made him a pair of overalls. And all of a sudden, it was his friend, friend of a friend, cousin, and eventually strangers coming into my house to get measurements and get fitted. And Later on, I decided, um, you know, I was still planning to move back to Spain. And a friend asked me, like, are you going to keep sewing from Spain? And I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to get upcycled materials there in the same quantity. And so he was like, what if I help you start a business and that way you don't move back to Spain? So I invested what I had from selling my car and all of my belongings into like three industrial sewing machines and signed the studio. And it went from there. Wow. And Hannah, what about you? What brought you into the world of textiles and clothing? Yeah, um, gosh, what what didn't bring me into the world of textiles and textile ways? Um, I've always just, even since when I was a little kid, was just really into secondhand clothing and thrift stores. It was just like something I did with my dad a lot. Um, and then when I was in graduate school, uh, I was getting a PhD in the history of science uh, and actually working on a dissertation project about camouflage, about a kind mm-hmm. of ostensibly unrelated topic, mm. got really into uh, kind of a, a f- film project working with a, a friend of mine on um, immigrants and immigrant the immigrant community in Boston and different kinds of immigrant communities in Boston who kind of worked with or engaged with secondhand clothes. Um, and that was back in like the, gosh, the pretty early 2000s, but got very involved in different immigrant communities and secondhand clothes communities, I guess, starting back then. Hmm. And uh, just kind of created a lot of interesting conversations with people and 
and started making films and making art and it's kind of been going since then. It's so interesting because you both have such different backgrounds that led you to this world of fashion and sustainability and it shows how many different avenues can take you there. Uh, Pau, your brand, Atravete, focuses on reusing materials, right? Not recycling them. Right. The term I hear a lot from the fashion industry is upcycling. Uh, can you describe what that word means for listeners that don't really know and what the upcycling process looks like for your clothing line in particular? Yeah. So upcycling is uh, repurposing, so giving a new life to materials that would otherwise be discarded. And for us, we reach out to upholstery makers, interior design firms, other brands like Melanzana, and we pick up fabric that they have that either is not up to standard for them if they ordered it from the manufacturer. Um, or with interior design, it tends to be the seasonal, like, um, yeah, uh, pile of fabrics that they have for samples that then there's kind of like no home for them so it's new materials that would otherwise not be used and i read on your website that there's a tagline where you said reuse before you reduce and before you recycle what would you say is the difference between reusing and recycling when it comes to clothes and the environmental impact um yeah i think the steps of reduce, reuse, recycle sometimes are like flip-flopped. And I think before uh, recycling, there should be kind of like a, can I give this a new, like a new round of um, use before I decide to get rid of things, before I decide to like send them to recycling. It's, it it um, begins the process mm. sooner, right? What's one of the most unexpected uh, reinventions you made with clothing where you got a piece of fabric and turned it into something that it didn't look like before? Mm. Someone donated a hammock to me one time and it made this like <laughs> balloony kind of uh, waterproof overalls and I lined them with fleas and it looked nothing like a hammock. <laughs> but yeah, super fun fabric. <laughs> That's a genius idea. I never would have thought of that. Hannah, so kind of on that topic of word choices, mm -hmm. you have a book called Shoddy, From Devil's Dust to the Renaissance of Rags, and it dives a lot into the variety of connotations a word can hold, I would say, and how that can shape public opinion. Uh, before I give out a butcher definition to listeners, can you explain what shoddy is and why we're talking about it on this show? Sure, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, uh, shoddy is this kind of, on, on the one hand, I think shoddy is a word that many of us know first as an adjective, meaning like badly done or second rate, like so shoddy manufacturer, shoddy work. Um, I have the word shoddy on Google alert, so I'm constantly getting updates on current <laughs> uses of shoddy, and it's usually shoddy worksmanship happening in, um, you know, some particular corner of the world. But interestingly, long before shoddy as was this adjective meeting kind of second rate, shoddy was something that was a noun that wasn't necessarily second rate at all. Um, shoddy kind of came into being as a as a noun to refer to shredded up secondhand or you know collected old wool, um, and basically shoddy was both the the process and the product of the of of, of old wool or you know, kind of Taylor's clippings, which mm -hmm. is kind of what, what Pal's talking about. Uh, old wool and Taylor's clippings being shredded up and then respun to create a kind of second, a sort of giving a second life or a second kind of new fabric, um, which would be shoddy fabric. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, this shoddy or shoddy material, shoddy fabric, shoddy cloth c emerged along with in some ways, like the whole industrial revolution, mm. um, this idea of there being a, a good that was by its nature or by definition um, a recycled or kind of an upcycle, an upcycling of, of, of discarded material actually kind of came into the industrial world along with the industrial manufacture of wool in general. So. Mm. That's interesting you mentioned Google, because when I looked up the word, the definition I found was an inferior quality yarn or fabric made from the shredded fiber of waste woolen cloth or clippings, which is partially true, but the word inferior carries so much weight to it. As you said, kind of historically, shoddy also carries elements of sustainability to a degree, right? That kind of reusability. How would the practices used to make shoddy compare to some of the upcycling practices today? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, um, or a great, a great thought, like shoddy by its nature, um, and, you know, 
this isn't what, in contrast to that definition, shoddy by its nature isn't necessarily inferior at all, mm -hmm. right? Just because it's old. In theory, you can have a shoddy material that's higher quality than a new material if you're starting with a kind of secondhand or a discarded, you know, some discarded high quality wool or fabric. Uh, and yet it sort of ended up historically getting these kind of very negative connotations for various reasons. I mean, I think there are some... Um, you know, I mean, I might take a little bit of uh, exception with, I, I think maybe the word upcycling works in some cases and not in other cases mm -hmm. um, as a way to talk about, like, the effective or interesting interesting modes for, like, you know, sustainable practices. So uh, some of the things that are that are happening now and that have been happening for a while that I see as really interesting are, like, the use of um, waste denim as home insulation. Mm. Um, so that's been definitely like a growing, a growing kind of practice that is really effective. Um, denim getting shredded up to, to make different kinds of insulation and packing materials. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily call that upcycling because you're taking potentially like high quality denim, right? Or something that was expensive denim and then turning it into like an insulation material. Um, but I'd say that is a really effective and interesting use of textile waste that does, I think, connect very much to the kinds of things that were, you know, that have been, been done in the, were done in the 19th century. I'm going to take advantage of being on the board to open my mic and ask a question myself. This is Shannon Young. I'm the news director. Um, this whole conversation about reuse or creating shoddy, this was something that happened back when all fabrics were organic in origin, or yes. at least natural materials. How has the shift to synthetic fibers uh, affected the ability to create reused material or shoddy? Yeah. Do you want to... Um... I'll let you take okay. it. Okay. Oh, let me take it. Okay. Yeah, that's such a great question. And um, I mean, in some ways, like I've... It's really hard to effectively kind of reprocess and respin re mm -hmm. synthetic fibers, um, which really kind of like starting 50 years ago or 70 years ago when synthetic fibers really kind of ratcheted up their, their role in the marketplace, really made it harder and harder for the shoddy industry to like, you know, find effective ways to like basically make, make money. Um, it's, it's relatively easily to unspin and respin wool. Synthetic fibers just don't work like that. Um, and so it's created a lot of challenges in the kind of world of reprocessing, um, you know, at the level of kind of unspinning and respinning fiber. Uh, and therefore, I think that's what's created a lot of um, openings and a lot of power and importance for these more upcycling, you know, cutting with scraps, sewing mm -hmm. with scraps, um, because it is just hard to reprocess synthetic materials. There's a lot of interest among like brands and the textile industry, I think, in kind of being able to work towards the reprocessing of synthetic fibers. I mean, both for ethical, mm -hmm. you know, mission, mission statement reasons, and also because it's you know, the, sort of a greenwashing mission, but but it's actually technologically really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but to what degree does the the use of synthetic fibers, the widespread use of synthetic fibers or blends, contribute to clothing ending up ultimately in a landfill? Hugely, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's a huge problem. Synthetic fibers, not all of them, but many of them are so much less. Um, they're 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 not as rewearable. They don't last as long, right? Which is why so much of the clothes at thrift stores now, um, because it is synthetic fibers mm -hmm. and sort of cheaply made clothing, it doesn't even last to rewear that long. Um, it's not that useful, really, to be like, you know, even kind of worn and reworn, mm -hmm. and, and in some sense, even probably upcycled. You know, if you if you have a, an inferior synthetic textile that you're beginning with, it's hard to do too much with it. Um, and yeah, this stuff can be worn for less and um, ends up in landfill sooner. So it seems like a real, a real, a real issue. Yeah, I guess, pow, that, that 
makes me think of you and your brand. When you get certain materials, are there some that you prefer to work with more than others, some that Mm -hmm. you don't really feel comfortable implementing because you don't think they'll last that long? How do you decide which which textiles are worth it? Well, luckily, I feel like a lot of the upholstery fabrics and, you know, interior design swatches that we get are very, uh, very strong fabric, very durable, very much suited for overall, which is what we mainly craft. Um, We get fabric from Melanzana and um, it's it's stretchy fabric. It's definitely thinner fabric and we work with it by, you know, doubling it up. But um, with the example of what you were speaking about, Melanzana started their Remelly program because they would get uh, defective rolls and they thought that the manufacturer in Kentucky was recycling them. And then they found out that they were being shredded into a playground for sand for the playground. And so then they started the Remelly program and now there's tons of rolls that are going out there to other makers. Um, So, yeah. Mm. And once again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for our guests today, Pal Martin and Hannah Rochelle, about what to do with your old denim, how to insulate your home, apparently, or anything in between, you can call us at 303-442-4242 or email us at dj at kgnu.org. So I want to touch a bit more on something we were discussing earlier, kind of about words and how, whether it's recycling versus upcycling or the negative and positive connotations of shoddy, um, it all speaks to how important language is when it comes to changing or working with human behavior. Uh, Hannah, in your book, you quoted a Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes from 1918, and the quote really stuck with me. He said, a word is not a crystal, transparent and unchanged. It is the skin of a living thought and may vary greatly in color and content according to the circumstances and time in which it is used. So I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this. If we want to educate consumers and convince individuals of the importance of sustainability, how important is the language we use? In other words, are there certain mm-hmm. stigmas you've noticed in particular around thrifted clothing, upcycled mm-hmm. clothing, as opposed to fresh out of the factory finds? Hmm. With upcycling, I think I end up uh, explaining the definition uh, every time that I'm at a farmer's market and people ask like, so what's upcycling? And oftentimes I get this response of like, so is this made from trash? <laughs> And kind of the idea of like, oh, it has this, you know, kind of like what it has been its lifetime before. Um, So I think the language upcycling almost feels like this new word, you know, Um, and it is it is important to to keep that conversation going. Um, Yeah. Mm. And when people say, is this trash? And you give them an answer showing that it isn't. Do you think that that changes their minds about what you're offering them or or what upcycling is and what the potential is for them yeah definitely definitely yeah because it's it's not trash yet you know it's like it could be if there was not enough like places to use it um yeah Mm, that's interesting Hannah do you have anything to add to that yeah I mean I love I love your your focus and interest on this on this idea of the of the on the role of words, um, I think that's really lovely. Um, I am interested, Poundwet, in in your uh, use of upcycling because you bring in the word upcycling. And do you think? Uh, I mean, do you, do you think the up? What does the up signify? And, 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 you know, I mean, it seems like like why isn't it downcycling or side cycling? Right. Um, and is that because it seems like. When I hear the word upcycling, it often seems like it's a, um, I mean, it's a clear value judgment, right? It's a way to kind of position like that there's an up and a down. Um, And it it often, when I hear upcycling, and I'm not a critic of the word upcycling, but (laughs) (laughs) no, but it seems to like really, it it, it often, like the reason why turning textile waste into denim insulation isn't upcycling is because it often has to do with, with value. Mm. And so when something is upcycled, it's Mm -hmm. like you're taking trash or, I mean, what, you know, either it's a donation or it's something that hasn't yet. And you're, and you're, and you're creating, and you're giving it, you're making it into something of of more value than Mm -hmm. it had before. And I feel like that's what the up often mm-hmm. refers to, but the up often seems to signify other things as well. Mm. Um, 
you know, that idea of the up uh-huh. is, uh, mm. is, is really striking. And I don't want to use the word problematic, but, um, but potentially, like, wh- why, why does it have to be up? I think because if you look at the symbol of the, re- you know, the recycling symbol, it's like yeah. the three arrows kind of going in every direction. And so I think upcycling is like, you uh, know, we're not downsizing in, in like leaving it there. We're like downsizing and giving it a completely different product, creating something new, giving it new purpose. Mm. So um, we're sending it up, yeah. not down in the sort of... The cycle, of, yeah, yeah. In, in the idea of a cycle, and not to get obviously too much into <laughs> syntax and and different language elements, but it's interesting upcycling versus recycling, mm-hmm. and I I know that there probably isn't a straightforward answer to this, but I was confused at first by the difference between the two, mm-hmm. and I think with recycling it does sound like you're taking something and reinventing it. With upcycling, it does sound like you're improving it. And I suppose that that connotation doesn't necessarily serve a bad purpose, but that is an interesting uh, touch point you make Mm -hmm. about that. We do have a couple of callers on the line. And if you'd like to get in the queue, the number is 303-442-4242. But before I go to the phone lines, I want to tell you that you are listening to KGNU FM 88.5 Boulder, KGNU 1390 Denver. First up in the queue is Julia from Longmont. Good morning. Good morning. Um, what do you do with a bunch of uh, towel, bath towels uh, that have oil on them? I try and buy the the hand towels. I buy the hand towels because who needs a great big old huge bath towel? People throw them out before they're worn out or have holes. Mm. You know, but um, mine get oily. From you know, using body oil for bathing. Mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Julia. I would suggest that um, car like auto repair shops would probably love those towels. Mm-hmm. Um, and your best bet, uh, it w- might be, especially if you already have like an auto mechanic, to give them to your auto mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and or if your auto mechanic doesn't want them, your auto mechanic will probably know who would want them. Mm-hmm. I would suggest if you have any pillow stuffing like or pillow cases that you could shred it into small pieces if it doesn't smell badly, like if you can wash it and it's just bodily oils, that to use it as pillow stuffing. That's a really interesting point. I wouldn't have thought about uh, how to use towels differently, especially in the concepts that you're saying. So great. Thank you, Julia. We also have a, another caller here, Sunny from Boulder. Good morning, Sunny. Hi. Um, I am interested in knowing if anyone is doing rag rugs, weaving rag rugs with old fabric. Weaving um, rugs. Yeah. I love rag rugs, and I, I've been wondering if anybody's doing that anywhere around here. Um. Yeah, rag rugs are are beautiful. Yes. Um, I I I know someone making rugs. I don't know if it's out of old fabric, but um, that is that is a beautiful concept. I'm um I'm doing an event at the Handweavers, the Boulder like Handweavers Society in October, uh, and I bet somebody there either. That that would be a kind of maybe an organization to to, to connect with the Handweavers Society. Uh, they might they might know, or it might be a nice community. Great, thank you so much, Sunny. So kind of wrapping back into our conversation here as we potentially get more callers at three zero three four four two four two four two from anyone in the community. I I actually have a question yes Shannon so I have uh, kids who are very active and they tend to just like wear out the knees in their clothes and some of them are like synthetic fibers which I assume that that's just straight to a landfill Uh, like you know rayon or nylon kind of pants Um, but also like with with jeans or just really any any anything in particular what do I do with those I've patched them but sometimes the patches like Mm -hmm. also rip out or Mm -hmm. the things around you know the area around the patches so it is, is it just straight to a landfill or what can be done? Mm. I would say, you know, there's art parts here. If you find a, a small sample um, big enough to be kind of like the width of a pant leg, 
I would stitch it from the inside, like hand stitch it, not a patch over the fabric, but completely from underneath and stitch it well around the, the break area. Okay. I feel like I've done that before and it worked pretty well. So I am going to second that recommendation from my very amateur knowledge of that. Um, so thinking about the, uh, you know, the, the re reusability reworking of clothing, uh, Hannah, in your book, you talk about the concept of a material's virginity, which is, um, you're talking about wool, but looking at that today and how I'd love for you to chime in on this as well. What do you think consumers relationships are like with, with non-virgin clothing, so to speak, clothing that has had previous wearers? Because, you know, mm -hmm. even with the rise of thrift stores in recent years, do you think people still consider less worn clothing to be more valuable? Or, or have you heard that people have um, kind of uncomfortable feelings around wearing clothes that's been worn and isn't just vintage furs or something mm -hmm. fancy in that way? I think that's a really huge and like fascinating question and I think the answer to that depends so much on um, you know on the individual and on the individual's like life story on you know particularly in the context of like a thrift store like why are they there mm -hmm. why aren't they there um, you know when I started my work on textile waste it had a lot to do with being in, in thrift store and clothing salvage environments and like asking people why they were there and asking people questions like you know do you want to know like, are you curious? Mm -hmm. um, I was at like a place where there were a lot of uh, an area, sort of secondhand wedding dresses. And so there were people mm -hmm. shopping for wedding dresses at like a big thrift store. And so some people actually were like, oh, I love the idea that somebody else would have had a special day and, you know, and these mm -hmm. fantasies or whatever. And some people were like, I absolutely don't want to think about that. I don't want mm -hmm. anyone to know. You know, if I end up getting my my, my wedding dress secondhand, I, the last thing I want is for anyone to know, and I want to forget. Mm. Um, so I think it's 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 really different and really. I think it has changed. I think in maybe more recent years, more and more people are kind of like embracing and liking the idea of the patina of like age and time, mm -hmm. um, and the idea of like nostalgia and the past um, has become kind of connected i think to ideas of material sustainability yeah um huh. but, but yeah. yeah and and on that note i want to say that there's there is an organization here um i believe they're based out of thornton called the prom dress exchange mm -hmm. and they put mm. together an mm. event every year and the adams 12 uh district building where they just convert a ballroom into this massive kind yeah. of uh, you know prom dress place they have changing rooms they have just a whole area just stuffed with racks and racks of formal wear mm -hmm. and it's for mostly girls to pick out a prom dress because usually you just wear those once and they sell them for very very cheap it basically covers their cost of storage mm -hmm. throughout the year but it's very much in this you know what you were saying you know like I don't want people to know that I got this used or other people like, yeah, I picked up five dresses. I'm good to go for like every formal wear event for the next 10 years. Yeah. So very interesting. But that that is a local initiative, uh, Prom Dress Exchange. We I have that. two callers yes. right now. Let's jump to John. John and Centennial. Hello. Hello. I was unable to listen to the uh, the start of the program. So you may have already covered this question, but uh, I have cotton garments that unfortunately uh, were, uh, uh, I won't say why, but because I've worn them so much, uh, they have holes in them, I just can't wear them anymore, and I've been told by friends, you know, just throw them out, but after listening to part of your program, I didn't know if there's a location I could go to, to, uh, uh, well, I don't know if the word would be recycle, I assume not upcycle, but it could be upcycle because um, they're, they're shirts uh, uh, that uh, um, may have one or two holes in them, but uh, I didn't know if it, the rest of the shirt could be used in any way. So I, I just don't know what to do with the, the items. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like, um, those sound like great products and a great example of something really good for thinking with. Um, it seems like white cotton shirts are like so um, kind of 
kind of basic, and so it's interesting to think through what 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 productive things you could do with them. Um, I'm sure like Pau would have some thoughts on a more like maybe upcycling direction, but I but I think on uh, at the level of just kind of a simple recycling, things like what you're talking about, although they probably wouldn't necessarily have like a great opportunity for like resale in like let's say a Goodwill store, um, could definitely be really effectively used in the recycling industry to make like wiping rags. You know, I think mm. white white cotton shirts are something that. Uh, if, if you do give them to Goodwill or you give them to a, another kind of charity organization, um, they're likely to sort them and sort them into a special category that would be like white shirts, <laughs> white cotton, you know, holy shirts. And then they probably would, if all went well, um, end up in like the automotive rag wiping kind of getting turned into rags. But Pau mm. probably would have another direction. Yeah, I saw Pau's to go. eyes oh. <laughs> light up when the shirts were mentioned. I, I mean, it, you know, we have a donation portal where any fabric scraps can be donated and we would probably use it to cover the brim of a hat, for example, if it's stretchy. But there's also art parts in Boulder. It's a uh, creative reuse center. And if you just cut around where the holes are and just donate it there, they you know, they have plenty of fabric and it's it's very fun to go there and find everything that someone has donated and give it a new purpose. And how, how do people donate to you specifically? We have uh, on our website, upcycledandhandmade.com. Uh, at the very bottom, there's a tab for donations. Mm. And so we set up a time. I either go pick it up or um, if, if, you know, if you want it to drop it off, that can work too. Right. And speaking of your brand, Pau Atrevete, we have a question in our email box from Jason out of Boulder. Uh, Jason says, my daughter Yvette asks of the upcycling guest, do you make other things besides overalls? You have some, some interest <laughs> in the community here. Yes, we make, we make five panel hats. We make uh, pants, shorts at times, and then kind of the whole overall family, which is overalls short earls and dress earls <laughs> and you often head to uh markets mostly to sell these you also do it online right where can people find find you yep so we have our online store upcycledandhandmade.com but we also do uh festivals farmers markets here in boulder this weekend actually saturday um we do cherry creek farmers market um we'll be at billy strings renewal in september so we're, we kind of like bop around different uh, different spaces, yeah. Okay, great to know. And on the topic of wipe rags, I just wanted to say that just in my own house, since I don't know what to do with some of the softer fabrics, like t-shirts that have holes of them or whatever, I just... I tend to just cut them up and that's what I use instead of paper towels. Mm -hmm. uh, so wiping up spills and whatnot. Um, another use, if you have very small children, like for babies, is, um, <laughs> you know, you find yourself in a bind and you don't have any wet wipes when you need to change a diaper. Nice. Those, uh, yeah. <laughs> I used to have a rag bag that I would just cut up of old t-shirts and be like, okay, that's the emergency. I don't have any wet wipes um, back. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, yeah, you can use it for that. Um, we do have another caller, David in Boulder. Good morning. Good morning. What an awesome show. And you partially answered my first question, but... <laughs> It's A, about sources for uh, recycling textiles. And so you guys are fantastic with the community and art and that you build with your work. But I was wondering, A, what you thought about the charm. You know, there's the only thing I knew about was taking old clothes, et cetera, that can't be reused to charm. So that's A. But B is a sort of meta question um, of, you know, we're all, I was involved in green building materials for a long time in this town, and, you know, we're all making these, these heroic little efforts to try to do this, try to do that, and it's so beautiful, and it's great. But meanwhile, most people just, like the students coming in today, you know, they're going to go to Target, they're going to buy a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. and then in May, and it's a great time to try to harvest it, they throw it all away. And we just pick it up and we put it in the landfill, you know. And there's, uh, there's been heroic efforts by cycle, etc., to get in in the way of that waste stream. But I was just wondering what you guys would suggest. National legislation so difficult, 
maybe their state legislation. I mean, how can we, like they did in World War II, and there's a great book, No Ordinary Time, by Doris Kearns Goodwin, about how the whole country mobilized, and, uh, you know, it was for the war effort, but there was a, a huge consciousness by everyone to do something different. Mm. And you're, we're all trying to do that, and that's beautiful, but the mass of the culture and all these beautiful tenants that I have are beautiful people, and they throw away huge computer monitors. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all this incredibly useful stuff. And it should be a crime, and it should be somehow a joyful thing not to do that. So there's my question. How can we get in the way of this um, really strange uh, consciousness that we have about just throwing useful stuff away right. instead of working with you, which would be so fun? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right. Pow or Hannah? I, I think it comes down in my what I was hearing. I think uh, it may come down to this individual effort, where like if those around you are not, you know, aware of all the other places where they could discard things to or give it a new purpose. I think starting with that conversation, you know, like if you're doing all of this effort, talking about it and kind of like encouraging others to follow suit. Yeah. Can I just say that? David just touched on basically something that I could talk about for hours and hours on end, and that is the the school move out and move mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should, maybe that should be a different show. I think but that should be an entire call-in show. <laughs> so let me tell you about, like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we actually did one. If you go to, to news.kgnu.org, look up The Art of Dumpster Diving, mm. and we did a call-in show uh, very much about this this topic but something that i'm wondering about is the um what something that, that david brought up was consumer or the manufacturer responsibility yeah and do you know of any efforts to make it more expensive to create synthetic fibers or blends much in the same way that manufacturers are being made to pay extra for creating more plastic or mm. more styrofoam mm. well um that's great. I mean, what a wonderful idea. <laughs> um, I know when I was um, working on this, uh, this book project on the related film project in Northern England, um, in, in England anyway, uh, and actually this was when England was part of the EU, so it may be totally different now, um, but there were a lot of waste taxes that, you know, businesses... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not just new clothing businesses, but even um, textile recycling businesses would have to pay to dump, to dump materials, mm -hmm. to dump fabric, to dump fabric waste, to dump textile clippings, um, and th the um, those fees actually their their cost was different depending on whether it was synthetic uh, versus um, organic fibers. When they were organic fibers, in certain circumstances, a um, <clears throat> sorry, a, a commercial business would be able to kind of call that not waste, but a fertilizer product mm. because that mm. material actually mm -hmm. would have some kind of nitrogenous fertilizing ability. And so they would actually be paying a lower waste fee or waste tax. Huh. In fact, they would be paying no waste tax if they could kind of make a case that these were uh, organic natural fibers. Um, if they were synthetic fibers, then um, there would be like much higher fees uh, waste waste taxes being levied. Now it did lead to a lot of kind of um, businesses trying to conceal. They would say something was uh, p potential fertilizer when mm -hmm. it was actually all synthetic mm -hmm. uh, fi fibers. But there was at least like a policy, mm -hmm. um, and it would be interesting, I think, to to think about the kind of success of that and the ramifications of of things like that. Yeah, yeah, and and kind of speaking on the costs of these kind of scenarios, when I think about sustainable shopping for clothing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, you think of Goodwill, you think of more affordable thrift stores, but for a lot of potentially upcycled clothing or just higher end stores, um, I'm thinking about Crossroads, different mm -hmm. kind of trading organizations. Um, I kind of think of it like buying organic food products, right? Where mm -hmm. it might be better for the environment, even better for you and more longevity, the sustainability of it. But the qualm that can come up is the price mm -hmm. and the accessibility yeah. to the stores that sell these quality materials. How do you, 
how how feasible is it? And if people can't afford it, what what other option would you recommend for them? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that that is a really good that's a really good question because I mean, in in the example of our production, you know, it's it's very expensive to manufacture in the U.S. and in a place like Boulder, especially. So there's there's a reason why most clothing brands don't manufacture in the U.S. And so you're you know, uh, having to explain that and kind of like having to um, make sure that it reflects in the quality of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely going to be uh, something that at times um, it, it can be it can be discouraging. You know, it's it's like why? How are we going to get this like collective support um, when it is? obviously so much cheaper to shop at Forever 21, even though it's, you know, fast fashion and not the best labor practices and all of that. Um, right, right. I was going to mention fast fashion. I know that there's brands like Shein and other other very, <laughs> very cheap fast fashion manufactured brands that you can buy something on the internet for so cheap and it'll come to your door. And I know a lot of people that shop on those sites. And when I ask them why, because the materials break within mm -hmm. days or weeks, they always say, well, it was cheaper to just buy six of them than to buy one that would last. Um, I know, Pao, you've, you've talked with your brand about slow fashion. Mm -hmm. Can you describe what that is? Is that is that just a more sustainable practice than fast fashion <laughs> or what is that exactly yeah i think of slow fashion as like kind of like the lifetime of the product not just not so much our own production the fact that it's here the fact that we can't mass produce you know every piece is one of one we never know what fabric we're gonna get the cutting process and the design process is completely spontaneous mm. um but also slow fashion in the sense that like you know, we repair for the lifetime of the product if if it breaks, if, you know, you come to any issues with sizing, we will do exchanges. And so kind of like promoting this, like, don't throw away something that no longer serves you, like, we will kind of like keep it cycle. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the time, you know, we buy cheap clothing, but if it breaks, we have no ability to repair it. Or if you contact a seamstress, it's too expensive compared to the value of the product to repair it. So, um, yeah, kind of like working all in one ecosystem. Right, because yeah. definitely mending clothes can also be expensive if you mm -hmm. don't have the skills. I know that we have one more caller. Jim from Boulder is on the line now. Hello, Jim. Hi, there's an article by Elizabeth Colbert in the June 26th um, New Yorker, how plastics are poisoning us. And she basically says that we can't recycle plastic, that there's nothing we can do with it that really works, because usually when you try and recycle it, it gets worse, and that it's a subsidiary of the oil and gas industry, and that they lobby against trying to stop it, because they're thinking that if we burn less oil, maybe we'll use oil instead for plastics. So they're trying to build all these factories down in Louisiana and on the Texas coast to make more plastic in case we don't buy as much oil. So basically, she's just saying the process of trying to recycle plastics is a sham and greenwashing. It doesn't really work. It releases even more toxics in trying to separate them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It talks about things like nurdles. Anyway, I found it fascinating. You might want to read it. Thank you, Thank Jim. you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, that's a, a great and really interesting article. And I mean, both interesting and eye-opening and also uh, a little bit overwhelming in terms of, um, you know, what, especially in the realm of kind of the textile industry, like how exactly to, where to move from that. Because um, the, the implication is basically that to, to sort of get away from that, one would have to kind of take all synthetic, all synthetic fibers, all petroleum kind of based or origin textile fibers out. Um, and that would so radically change what, what textiles looked like. Um, and, and textiles in so many different domains, you know, of like industry, of fashion, of culture. But but it's certainly something that, you know, certainly this idea of industrial greenwashing is something that I think everyone just always has to keep mm -hmm. in their mind without getting too cynical mm -hmm. about. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And especially when we think about our personal abilities and what we can accomplish to live more sustainably, mm -hmm. maybe not everybody can 
find ways to upcycle their clothing, but they may be able to find ways to reduce the use of plastic and paper bags at grocery stores and bringing mm-hmm. reusable bags. I feel like there's there's different options. Um, I was also, when I was kind of looking into information about textile waste, I found this list of all these different forms of textile waste. So pre-consumer waste, which is the scraps from when mm-hmm. you're manufacturing, post-consumer waste, so those textiles that are discarded, um, misprinted or overstocked items, uh, fast fashion waste, all of that. Um, I guess this is a question for either of you. I was thinking about Pau with the Trevete. How do you how do you manage that kind of waste within the process of making clothing? Maybe not in your own sense, because a lot of it is upcycling, but in general, if clothing is going to be manufactured, how can you do that more sustainably as a small business when it may be more expensive to do that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um yeah, it's it's a compromise and it's like there's, you know, there's at times only so much you can do. Like even while, you know, upcycling fabric and producing in the way that we produce, there will be scraps, you know. Um, what I mentioned earlier of using it as stuffing for pillows, like finding a different um, a different home for it, even in our own, you know, production process when we create waste. Um, but... But it can be it can be discouraging what you said about, you know, the cynicism of it is that there's times that it's um, yeah, like what how much how much can you do? And what what about like all the other brands and like how do we all get on board on the same on the same subject? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah, what are your thoughts on that? On the on the what to do? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Yeah. It's a big question. I know. It's kind of what we keep leading back to. What do we do? Well, I mean, I'm I'm kind of tempted to go back to your 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 thoughts about language maybe, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, you sort of introduced this idea of of the importance or of the kind of unexpected ways that language and 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 wording can kind of shape, you know, shape ideas. I mean, certainly language is very connected to to cynicism, but maybe mm maybe something about about language and talking and and thinking through like the words that we use to talk about waste um Mm -hmm. or the words that we use to talk about upcycling Mm -hmm. um you know what are we really what are we really conveying or or what are we trying to convey about ourselves Mm -hmm. or about others Mm -hmm. in in talking about waste or talking Mm -hmm. about reuse in certain ways um and there's definitely kind of a a, maybe that's a maybe that's a way in i mean it seems like one thing that we would one would like would be for for somehow people to be able to take to, to all be able to somehow like think about you know not just textiles but like consumerism and their act as a consumer right like what what are the role why am i getting textiles that textiles are important that, that all of these different things that go into why we purchase a certain article of clothing are important and real and meaningful you know fashion identity wanting to fit in with your peer whatever it is um and to maybe like own that to the point where one can say well yes but do i need seven Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or or what I, you know, or or should I get one that was made in America mm-hmm. or that was like made by a local business in Boulder? Right. Um so maybe just thinking through those things more or finding yeah. a way to create more conversations might might affect at least change on like an individual level. Right. And that is a great point because I think about when I've talked to my mother, for example, about my enjoy enjoying of thrifting and how I enjoy buying those recycled um, clothing. And to her, she doesn't understand why sometimes you would mm-hmm. buy something used when you could buy something new. I think there is a trend with it these days that I don't know if that exact trend will last of thrifting and of, mm-hmm. of uh, repurposing, I, I would be interested to see how that tracks through history and if we keep recycling mm-hmm. these um, articles of clothing. Because even you'll find Forever 21 at a used thrift store. It's not mm-hmm. like it's all this incredibly quality fabric. So I, I still do have a, a what to do question. What do I do with the bag of blown out pants that I have like from my kids that I can't you know they're 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 too damaged to uh-huh. go donate to a thrift store. They're too small for my kids to rewear. So why would I patch it? Like, what do I actually do with so, damaged clothing that I have like in bags in my house right now? Mm-hmm. So you could get super crafty and start making denim quilts. Mm. <laughs> what do I do if I work sixty hours a week? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like. 
I think that what you could do, I think there is like a big thing with denim quilting right now. I've seen a lot of like denim quilts. No, no, not for not you. My calling. No, no, no. You're not going to do it. <laughs> no. But I mean, you could cut, you could cut up some denim stra- straps and give them to like maybe this art parts place or somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think there are people out there that do. It's not me either, but who do have a lot, who, who do, um, who are able to do things like denim quilting. And I think with denim in particular, like it is a thing yeah. right now doing like art denim tapestry it's a thing um the other idea would be if you donate it to like uh if you donate it to goodwill or something or and, and it's some kind of um and they, they have a system where they're sorting things effectively old torn up shredded denim that's exactly that's not resaleable that's what's going to become the denim insulation mm. so like that is a future life for those denim mm-hmm. the, these these old jeans you're talking about i guess the question is how can you get them to there yes right because right? i think that's sort of the best place for them to go yeah. right yeah mm-hmm. when- yeah i would suggest you know if you live in boulder there's the boulder collective facebook group I would suggest making an ad on Craigslist or posting on that group saying, I have this much denim, anyone, you know, would want to come pick it up if you, you know, if you want to make it available for free. Um, and I feel like there will be someone making quilts or making something else that would want it. We are on the very last minute of our show. Yes, we are. I have a wrap-up question for the two of you, actually. When you're not creating your own clothes, wearing your own clothes, where do you shop? Where do you get your wonderful outfits that you're wearing here? There's a lot of color. Um, Hannah has this uh, cowboy button-down shirt with this red long sleeve under it. Pow has these wonderful shoes on with these glass <laughs> heels, these red points. Where do you Where do you go? Thrifting, yeah, yeah. That's where I find the most unique stuff. Where in Boulder, though? Um, I like Salvation Army and Goodwill. Um, sometimes I'll go to Apocalypse and mm-hmm. other kind of like more trading places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most of my clothes are sort of from thrifting from another era in history from <laughs> decades past. But this shirt actually is from Rosemont Ranchware, okay. um, which is the um, they, the the uh, you know um, based based out of Denver, the kind of ranchware company that invented the snap button mm. shirt. Mm. Uh, still, still all made in America, mm. and uh, I bought this right when I moved to Denver mm. um, back in 2018. Look at that! All right, well. That wraps up our show today. You have been listening to A Public Affair on KGNU. I've been talking with Pau Martin, owner of the local textile upcycler brand, Atravete, and Hannah Rochelle, CU Boulder professor and scholar on textile waste and recycling. Thank you both so much for coming down to chat with us today. Appreciate you. Thank Thank you. you. This was such a pleasure. Yeah. And once again, I am Jackie Sedley with KGNU and Report for America. And this program has been made possible by support from the Boulder County Zero Waste Program. Stay tuned for Shauna Sproul. She's going to be hosting the Morning Sound Alternative.